Theory podcast, the Uncover Up. For a second, we didn't know where you're going with that. Yeah. <laughs> but that happens a lot when I am tasked with giving the intro. Especially I thought, at the last minute, like, what, you. <laughs> what was Lee renaming us? Almost. Yeah. But no, I just I just put it back to front. I put the what we are first, and then the name second instead of True. name first and what we are second. You know, sometimes I feel like the whole world is back to front now. <laughs> I mean, something like the government, which it theoretically is supposed to protect us. You almost wonder if sometimes they're doing the exact opposite. I feel like Nathan goes to bed at night thinking of segues. Yeah, because it like his life is a segue. This yeah. is amazing. But he did it before I even got to introduce us. Totally. Oh, that so, was a premature yeah. segue. Uh, so I'm one of your co-hosts, Lee Kunla, and with me as always are Elena Papianis. I'm back. You're back She's because back. we missed you last yeah. time. And Nathan Segway. Nathan Segway Radke. Nathan Segway Radke. All right. So we gave it away last week, what, or last time, what we're talking about, and Nathan Segway helped us uh, get even further. What is today's topic? Well, we're recording this uh, a couple days after September 11th, and we have done some episodes that were about September 11th to a degree. Mm-hmm. And actually, I would recommend for anybody who really has an interest in this topic that you should probably go back and listen to the episode on false flags, which was super a long time ago that was even before elena was was born yeah (laughs) that was pre-elena elena Elena joined in like the third Third episode episode in so this is what our second episode yeah Mm -hmm. okay so the episode on false flags the episode on iran even though of course iran doesn't have anything to do with september 11th it does bring up this idea of cia blowback so that's the uh operation ajax episode yeah and what other episodes should people listen to before they get to this one uh, that would be the Operation Cyclone episode. Is that what we had titled it? Um, which you can find in the feed just around the uh, Operation Ajax episode. We did right before, right after. And it is specifically about the history of the CIA in Afghanistan. I think it is super important to understand what comes later. And uh, I'm not going to give anything away. But often when I hear somebody talk about... Uh, nine, like, when I when I encounter a 9-11 truther, one of my first questions is, so tell me about Afghanistan in the 1980s. And I use that as a kind of test to see like how mm-hmm. serious is this person I'm talking to because that is so central to what we're going to talk about today. But we're not going to talk about it today, so go back and listen to that episode if you care. Yeah, and I am going to give something away before we start off. Uh, and I'm going to give away this. As the wind picks up to yeah, make my... Yeah, we're in Lee's backyard this time. We're in time. Lee's backyard. No cicadas this time. It's too windy. I'm going to say this, and uh, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to reply to this. Before we even start, I'm going to give away a bit of the ending. I think that there are members of the Bush administration, high-ranking members of the Bush administration, who should have been prosecuted for war crimes because of what we're going to talk about today. Yes. I think that... And I think we're going to start off in this way. The American government, as are many, many other governments, are really implicated in a lot of really awful stuff, some of which is uh, illegal. 
-hmm. and you can demonstrate that it's illegal. I guess if you're big and powerful enough, you tend not to get prosecuted. But that doesn't mean that you're not guilty. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's uh, some really shady stuff that comes out uh, when you do this kind of a history. And I think that there are also some conspiracies that mm -hmm. are really legitimate in this story that I think we need to look at as well. You said everything. <laughs> you said everything, Lee. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of beyond questionable actions, behavior, exploitation of events such as 9-11. And that I guess we'll get to that later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, I mean, this is one of those conspiracy theories that's probably one of the most important. It's often one of the first ones that people come across. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's often a conspiracy theory that once people encounter it, it opens them up to, like, what totally. else could it be It sucks true. them into the world of conspiracies. I feel like this is the at the level of JFK for my parents' generation. Right. My parents, you know, it was that proverbial thing growing up, where were you when JFK died, was the kind of... You know, if you had been alive and you were conscious, you knew because it was such a monumental political event. And I know that Princess Diana's death was a big mm -hmm. shock for a lot of people in the 90s. But I don't think that anything approached the level of political significance again until 9-11. And it was the conspiracy. Yeah. Right? And I, I feel like it's such an intricate one, too. Like yeah. there's so many moving parts. There's so many premises that truthers can latch on to. So it's not like you're just trying to sort of tackle or examine one thing or like a grassy knoll idea or something like there's, you know, 12 different moving parts when it comes to even just like the engineering yeah. around the buildings and stuff that you can discuss. So it's so complicated, which also would make it feel that much more rewarding Yeah. if you were a truther, like putting the puzzle pieces together, right? And getting that like hit. That's it. Yeah. And I, I think um, just to continue along the line of thought that you're going down, Elena, that there's a lot of really suspicious stuff here. I mm -hmm. mean, if you are paying attention, this story doesn't really add up. And I think that for that reason alone, a lot of people get really suspicious. And I think that some of the conclusions, the broader base conclusions, not the kind of claims that we're going to be looking at specifically in this episode, but some of the broader conclusions about the American government that the conspiracy theorists come up with, like, you know, this government isn't really for me, responsive to me, doesn't seem to be very democratic, doesn't seem to be very transparent. Those are very legitimate concerns that I think animated or animate a lot of people who are into this stuff. Or even very simply, the American government performed actions which resulted in the deaths of thousands of innocent people. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that number is probably really low. Yeah. Let's unpack some of this. Now, as always, you wouldn't expect anything less than uh, uh, us starting somewhere really far away <laughs> from the time where we're going to end up. W where did you want to start, Nathan? Because I know you had a specific conspiracy to look at. Well, when it comes to September 11th, I feel like there's two categories of conspiracy about it. I mean, there's so many different conspiracies, but they're all going to fall into these one of these two main categories. One, the idea that the Bush administration knew about the attack before it happened and allowed it to happen. And two, that they actually engineered the attack, that they carried out the attack as a false flag attack on their own country, that they were the ones ultimately who were behind the horrifying events of that day. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's even a, a third version of this, which is that not only did the American government do it, but they did it with holograms. 
and you know that that most of what happened didn't even actually happen. Yeah, that one I didn't even. I didn't no, even we're not going list. there. Yeah. It's, it, it's too absurd to talk about. I mean, if if people are interested, we can get into that stuff. I mean, for sure, the Pentagon was working on holograms for sure. Uh, in fact, they were working on a situation where they could try to create like a deity in the sky using holograms who could then command its followers to do stuff. Hmm. That's a different episode entirely. Okay. We're going to concentrate on this episode on that false flag idea. Mm-hmm. So that's the number two. In- number two. Okay. That the American government actually engineered this, that they carried off the attack. When people say Bush did 9-11, this is the one that they mean, that it was a false flag attack. Now, we did an entire episode on false flags. The basic idea is you attack yourself while pretending to be someone else to then justify an action in response to that attack. And weirdly, I have to admit that in, in a somewhat roundabout way, I actually think that there is some truth to this. Not in the way that uh, the conspiracy theorists often elaborate it, but this has got a kernel of truth to it that I hope we will get to in the end. Mm-hmm. About false flags in general? About false flags in general, about the very notion that the CIA created this event. Yeah. They did create this event in my reading of history, just not the way that the conspiracy theories often portray it. Well, let's let's get into it then. All right. Let's start off with this sort of false flag idea. I think if you're listening to this show, you're probably sympathetic to the idea that the American government might pull off a false flag against its own people. Because you're listening to a show that Lee has just retitled the Conspiracy (laughs) Show (laughs) Uncover-Up Hour. (laughs) But uh, as we always do, we go to the documents. And I have a document here from 1962 from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, the Joint Chiefs of Staff are the most senior military leaders in the United States. They are advisors to the president. This is a very serious organization. These are very powerful people. This document I have is about something called Operation Northwoods, which I think a lot of our listeners have probably come across, and we've talked about it in previous episodes. Basically, and I quote, The desired resultant from the execution of this plan would be to place the United States in the apparent position of suffering defensible grievance from a rash and irresponsible government of Cuba and to develop an international image of a Cuban threat to peace in the Western world. Basically, this was a plan to launch false flag attacks in order to justify military intervention in Cuba. Hmm. To quote this, because, I mean, this is such damning stuff that all I can do is simply say it in its own words. So I'm going to quote quite a bit here, and I'll probably throw in that old-timey sound effect that I do (laughs) so people know that it's a quote. And it goes like this. A remember the main incident could be arranged in several forms. Now, I already have to interrupt myself. What does that mean, a remember the main incident? Well, another conspiracy theory what elena this takes us to 1895 is it we are hurtling backwards in time and uh, a u.s uh warship explodes and the question is well what happened and uh the spanish were blamed for it the spanish were blamed for having um i don't know what like sabotaged it or with a torpedo torpedoed it exactly but which partially justified then american intervention in cuba right and a war against spain the spanish-american war except they didn't blow it up yeah the spanish did not blow up they did not blow up the main so what they're referencing here is a remember the main event or incident would be a false flag 
And that was used to then rally the American public, though, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, remember the main? So, therefore, we got to go. Right. Yeah. Remember I mean, the main? To hell with Spain. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah. the quote. And But the way I also teach this to my students is that you, you can't, if you want to attack somebody, I mean, y- you can't just attack them. You have to make it look like there is a justifiable Justify, reason. Right. If there isn't one, you got to make one up. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the old-timey sound effect so people know that I'm directly reading this from this okay. report. Right. Quote. Okay, so here are some of the things that they could do to create this Remember the Main incident. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. We could blow up a drone unmanned vessel anywhere in the Cuban waters. We could arrange to have such incident in the vicinity of Havana or Santiago as a spectacular result of Cuban attack from the air or sea or both. The presence of Cuban planes or ships merely investigating the intent of the vessel could be fairly compelling evidence that the ship was under attack. The nearness to Havana or Santiago would lend credibility, especially to those people that might have heard the blast or seen the fire. The U.S. could follow up with an air-sea rescue operation covered by U.S. fighters to evacuate remaining members of the non-existent crew. Casualty lists in U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. So think about that. They were going to have a ship, an empty ship, that they would blow up off the coast, come up with a fictional list of passengers who never existed in order to say, oh, these poor people who were killed by the Cubans, and then use that attack as a justification of an invasion of Cuba. Now, the conspiracy theorists will say, look, 9-11 is a false flag. That is to say the American government attacks themselves makes it look like somebody else attacks them, but actually attack themselves. And you're saying there is precedent for this. Yeah. I mean, listen to this. Here's another plan they had in Operation Northwoods. Use of MiG-type aircraft by U.S. pilots could provide additional provocation. Harassment? So, h- hold on. Oh. This is the one of the, w- the rare times I actually know what, a, a, what, what an airplane we're talking about. This uh, is one of the rare times when I get to listen to someone else talk about an airplane. Yeah. So, okay, what I can tell you is a MiG is a Russian uh, fighter jet. And that, that's about as far as my knowledge goes. But the point being here, that's Russian. And they actually got their hands on, the Americans did, they got their hands on a MiG uh, or a couple. So here, by talking about using a MiG, they're, they're implying that this is going to make it look like the Russians are doing something. Yeah, one of the things they could have done is they could have used one of the captured MiGs. Those were so valuable, they would probably have done something else. And I'll, I'll go on. Harassment of civil air, attacks on surface shipping, and destruction of U.S. military drone aircraft by MiG-type planes would be useful as a complementary action. An F-86 properly painted would convince air passengers that they saw a Cuban MiG, especially if the pilot of the transport were to announce such fact. So what they were going to do is take an American fighter plane, the F-86, which looked a lot like a MiG-15, paint it up like a MiG-15, and then fly it near an American plane so that the people would see it and think it was a Soviet MiG and think that the, the Cubans were attacking an American plane. But, well, can I play the devil's advocate for a moment and ask, it's all well and good to have found some precedent on paper. I mean, people come up with all kinds of plans. If you want to have a really fun time, you can get a hold of some of the CIA sabotage handbooks. Oh, boy. Um, there's, you know, yeah. a lot oh, yeah. of ideas in there that are really, ter- really terrible. Right. A lot are unworkable. Uh, but, you know. They or just work- go back and listen to our episode on Castro. Castro, uh, yeah. Castro right. Yeah. Just because the American government is musing about doing something. Mm-hmm. Is there any actual historical precedent for real false flags? like By the American government or by any government? Uh, well, I guess both 
generally, but more specifically, since we are implicating the American government, do we have any actual false flags that we know that the Americans were involved in? If we move forward ahead in time to the 1960s, then we'll hit the Vietnam War. Uh-huh. And of course, that was a war that the American people didn't really want to get into. It was very difficult to explain why the Americans should be in that war. However, what encourages the Americans, they have a remember the main style attack that happens in a place called the Gulf of Tonkin. Mm. And this is uh, based on recently declassified CIA reports. Um, You can even find this on Wikipedia if you Google the Bay of Tonkin. That attack, which was supposed to have been uh, orchestrated by the North Vietnamese, communist North Vietnamese, uh, shelling an American ship in the Bay of Tonkin, that never happened. No, that was that was fake. So, uh, so, so this is maybe worth just noting that up until the war in Afghanistan, the Vietnam War, to my understanding, I'm not an expert in American history, but my understanding is the Vietnam War was up until this most recent one the longest war in American history, and yeah. a lot of people died. There's all the American soldiers who are drafted. These are not professional soldiers. These are kids who are going over there getting maimed, killed, and of course the Vietnamese. And uh, Cambodians and uh, the people of Laos and, uh, yeah, I mean, just carpet bomb. People are still dying today from uh, those shells. Or the, from the ash mines. Yeah. That was their first quagmire. That's where that term really came up. Yeah. Where then, then every war after that, the American government was fearful of having another Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. Also, in our episode on Cyclone, they were really eager to give the Russians a Vietnam. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. get them stuck somewhere in some Vietnam. So... Okay, Nathan. So now we've established that, okay, so the American government did have some pretty elaborate plans to fake things like uh, attacks uh, with aircraft that would have been painted up to be different than they actually were. We've established that the American government has gotten into war on false pretenses. But why would they want to get into a war in the Middle East? Well, to answer that, we have to look uh, to the late 90s. We're getting pretty close now Mm. to September 11th. We're almost there. In the late 90s, there is a group called the Project for the New American Century, or PNAC. Now, this is a neoconservative think tank. Uh, They come up with foreign policy ideas about how they think America should be. Now, if you look at some of the people who are associated with this group, you see some pretty powerful people. you got Dick Cheney who would be the f- a future vice president of the United States. Donald Rumsfeld. Got future, some hawks. Uh, sorry? Some real hawks. Oh, yeah. Some, well, chicken hawks, yeah. because these aren't soldiers. No, that's true. These guys who never, they never saw war themselves, yeah. but they were super anxious to get into wars. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, future secretary of defense. Paul Wolfowitz, future deputy secretary of defense. Jeb Bush, brother of George Bush. Uh, the unfortunately nicknamed Scooter Libby. Mm. Like, this is basically the Bush administration. And they are all members of PNAC. Now, at this point, the Bush administration isn't in power yet. They're about to be. They're about to be elected. But in the late 1990s, this PNAC group filled with all of these chicken hawks, all of these neoconservative chicken hawks, they come up with a position paper titled Rebuilding America's Defenses. They have a particular interest. They think that uh, the, sort of the, the future security of America is going to depend on seizing control of the oil reserves of the Middle East, in particular Iraq. Now, they know this is going to be a difficult sell to the American people. The American people are, for the most part, like decent, peace-enjoying people who don't want to get into pointless, destructive, horrifying, murderous wars. And so they said, and I quote again, 
The process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. These ideas are also, unfortunately, not at all new. I mean, I, I don't even want to mention some of the names that come to mind uh, in political history who have used precisely that kind of logic. You want to animate a group of, you want to animate your citizens, subjects, whatever, scare the hell out of them. And you do that through generating some kind of threat. There's this concept in German called uh, real politics, realpolitik. And it's sort of like, you know, if you're going to really do politics, this is sort of amongst adults what happens. You know, we lie to each other, we steal, we, we cheat. We kill um, innocent people. We kill innocent people. And so actually, I just wanted to, even though this is maybe not an obvious place to put this, I do want to say that even though we're talking about the American government, at least for me personally, uh, I don't see that this is at all peculiar to the American government. This is how governments operate. It's just the Americans are the ones under investigation right now. But it might sound like some kind of massive anti-American rant. Whereas, no, I would, you know, I, I think pretty much all governments are spying, lying. <laughs> well, yeah, and wanting to rally their public to support whatever exactly. war they're fighting, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, but what does PNAC and their, again, on-paper musings about the potential of a Pearl Harbor and how wonderfully useful that might be to rally people around whatever cause you've got going, how does this actually relate? Like, you're not saying... Well, well let's look lo where we've gotten to now. Mm. We've established the idea of what a false flag is. We have established, backing up with, with evidence, that the American government has not only looked into the possibility of committing false flag attacks but also has used a false flag attack in the case of the Gulf of, Don of Tonkin. We know that the Bush administration, before they got to power, had a real interest in seizing the oil reserves in Iraq. We also know that they thought the only way they were going to be able to pull that off is if they were able to have, as it said in that, in that position paper, some kind of catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. And then, of course, as we all remember, September 11th, so, so this is a false flag? Is that what you're saying? I mean, we've got written evidence. We've got historical precedent. There's oil over there. So, yeah. Is well, that, is well, that so now, this is, now we do what we do. All right. Let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the evidence of the actual attack and decide, does the evidence indicate that this was a false flag attack or does the evidence indicate, no, this was a terrorist attack carried out by al-Qaeda in retribution for American foreign policy decisions for the, like the last few decades before this event. Okay, so okay. we should we should um, tackle some of the claims, I guess, of the truthers in terms of how the attacks went down and the and sort of the engineering aspects about uh, whether or not it was planned or not. Yeah. Okay. I like this part because it's really evidence based. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did two episodes or three on history. And I think that if you look at those episodes, it really leads to a very compelling conclusion. But there's something else about just being able to go to hard facts. Like some of this stuff that we're going to talk about now is science. Mm -hmm. Like, we, you know, there's scientific answers that we can rely upon here and, and, and gauge whether these interpretations make any sense whatsoever. So yeah, truth we, we've looked at the politics. Now let's look at the forensics. Yes. Good, good. What are the claims that truthers make? Well, I was going to say, should we start with just this, the sort of basic one that 
uh, they claim that the tower should not have, they should have been okay with a plane hit. Like they should oh, not have right. come down because of a plane hit because they were built to withstand uh, some sort of impact from a plane. That's, yeah. that's such a crucial bit of evidence that I think is super convincing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all remember those buildings coming down and how strange it felt and how horrifying it felt and how surreal it felt. I remember uh, a lot of people, myself included, kept referencing how it felt like it was on, on like, well, it was on TV, but like how it was like a movie. Mm-hmm. It really felt like one of those, you know... Independence Day, Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, it was so surreal. It was, Armageddon. It was the weirdest thing. Okay, so the idea, though, is here, just to give some context to it, when the World Trade Center towers were built, they were built to withstand the impact of a large passenger plane mm-hmm. because you know they're big <laughs> and they're near an airport uh or well you know not super near but they're the they're the kind of things you could fly into maybe yeah so, so then the claim becomes because it seems so strange that those towers fell those towers must have been engineered to fall in other words that was a controlled demolition mm-hmm. right maybe. and if it, i mean and at that point if it's a controlled demolition then we know that it's a conspiracy. Right. Then we know it's an inside job. So if somebody can prove that, then I think that that is overwhelming evidence in favor of it being a false flag operation. So just again, to put a little bit uh, more flesh on the bones, the conspiracist's theory is that if it's a false flag, the reason, at least one of the main theories is the reason the Twin Towers came down was because they were actually brought down, not by the plane crash, but either by explosives, um, the, the building was in some way prepped for being uh, demoed. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. The steel beams were partially cut, the, the beams that held the, the building up. Okay, so this is what's at stake here. Yeah. Either, I mean, if the, the towers were meant to withstand a plane flying into them, and then a plane flies into them and they collapse, why did they collapse? Well, why don't we ask some of the questions that I think intelligent people ask about this event? Why don't we start with this one? We know from eyewitness accounts, from several eyewitness accounts, that there was damage in the lobby 80 stories below World Trade Center uh, 1 and 2. There was damage in those lobbies. Now, why would there have been damage in the lobbies when the planes crashed so much higher above unless there were already explosives planted in the lobby? Especially given that, according to conspiracy theorists, there are no elevator shafts that go... Oh, the entire right, length of the building. Go the entire <laughs> length of the building, yeah. right? So, I mean, I guess I could imagine like a fireball hurtling down an elevator shaft and exploding in the lobby. But if there ain't an elevator shaft that goes from whatever floor the plane crashed into down to the lobby, then, yeah, you guys are scaring me now. So g- what's, what's an explanation for that? Well, didn't it actually set all the elevators into free fall? And there were, wasn't there at least one that did go the full length of the building? So the service elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only the service elevator, as I understand it, but even though the elevators didn't service all the floors, the elevator shafts shafts went all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. So in order, and this is, you know, some, some, there's some job, somebody's got a job to figure out how to get the fastest service in these big buildings mm-hmm. of elevators. And the way they did in the World Trade Center is that the first set of elevators takes you, what, I don't know, to like the 25th floor. If you got to go any further, mm-hmm. you get out and then you get on the next set of elevators. Now, people derived from that 
that there was no elevator shaft going from bottom to top, which is simply not true. Right. And and what we're going to find, I think, throughout a lot of these claims is when you do the fact checking, there's just some stuff that's just not true. And this is one of those cases. So that's, I would suggest, yeah, a fireball comes through the elevator shaft and explodes in the lobby. So, or, the, so the plane crashes into the side of the building, cuts through into the elevator shaft, kerosene, burning kerosene pours into that elevator shaft which causes a fireball, which then explodes yeah. all the way down the shaft, basically, including damaging the lobby. Something like that, yeah. And the planes were essentially still full of fuel, like they had barely been flying. So that's another contributing factor to the fires that were set there from the crash, because it was not also ready to withstand the crash of a plane that was like full of all this fuel that had just taken off. That Yeah, that that is then also the answer to the first question, was that while the um, buildings were meant to withstand a plane crash it wasn't thought of as being a terrorist attack mm. it was what if there's dense fog and a plane low on fuel now coming in to land in new york is sort of lost and doesn't know where the airport is and might start you know like accidentally flying to a building it was not meant for a plane full of fuel to go speed. at full speed yeah. You know, two-thirds of the way up. Yeah. And then actually the model of plane, again, this is why I have to defer to Nathan, that the original buildings had been designed to withstand was slightly smaller mm -hmm. than the one that actually then does the crashing. One of the things that I've heard, again, intelligent people say is, you know, a bomber plane crashed into the Empire State Building. That happened. And that building didn't collapse. So why would a passenger plane crashing into the World Trade Center cause it to collapse? Well... Now we're going to get into some airplane specifics, so I feel very comfortable. <laughs> the bomber that crashed into the Empire State Building was a B-25, uh, a two-engined medium bomber, a uh, propeller plane. It was, as Elena said, it was low on fuel. It was traveling slow. It was trying to find the airport. Uh, it weighed about 20,000 pounds. Now, the planes that crashed into the World Trade Center buildings were 767s. The World Trade Centers were designed to survive a collision with a 707 which is a smaller plane than 767. And as you guys said, it was designed in a situation where that plane would be landing, so it would be low on fuel, and it would be traveling maybe 180, 200 miles an hour. Instead, you have a 767, much, well, not much larger, but considerably larger than the 707, and more importantly, traveling much faster. Uh, if you know anything about physics, speed is everything. Velocity is everything. The amount of energy that happens when you double something's speed is extraordinary. This is why you'll survive a car accident at 20 kilometers an hour, but you might not survive one at 40 kilometers an hour. Both of those 767s that crashed into the World Trade Center were going about 465 miles an hour. I apologize at this point that I'm switching back and forth between Imperial and Metric. You're trying to cater to all of our listeners. I'm trying to cater to everybody. Lee you can't make everybody happy, Nathan. Uh, uh, Lee said that I should happy. only do Metric. Only Metric. It's the only real measurement out there. How many <laughs> centimeters tall are you? 184. Oh, he knows. Yeah, I'm like Of course I know, because that's, what the, that's how you measure stuff. I know I'm six feet tall. Yeah. Well, you were about the same height, I think. So I'm like 180 something. Whatever. Something between 181 and 184 centimeters. Okay. Somewhere there. My point was not proven. <laughs> no. But the old people listening are agreeing with me. They're like, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, old man. So that explains that. 
Like, it was engineered to survive a crash, but it wasn't engineered to survive the kind of crash with the kind of plane. And technically, it did survive for a while before it collapsed. That's also a good point. So it's not that it just came crashing down immediately upon impact. It technically did survive for how long? One of them was about an hour, and the other one was... An hour and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah. So it did it did stay standing for that long before there was enough damage to the inside to collapse it. Which did allow a lot of people to escape. Yeah. Unfortunately, not everybody to yeah. escape. No. Um, All right, but uh, okay, I've got some more questions. Though. Yeah, I think okay. those are addressed reasonably well. Why did the towers fall at free fall speed? This is something that you hear all of the time. When you watch the video, it falls as if there's nothing underneath it. It falls as if it's just been dropped from a height. Rather than like slowly crashing down like you would expect, it falls at the same speed as like if you just dropped a bowling ball from that height at free fall speed. So how do we explain that? Technically didn't though, because the steel beam, many of the steel beams of the inner structure did stay standing for longer as the building collapsed around it. Yeah, there, there are parts of it that do stand for some time. The other thing that I always found strange about the claim that the, that the towers fell at freefall speed is that as it, the towers are falling, there are bits of debris, like very large bits of debris falling off the tower. But what you notice is that the destruction wave as the tower collapses is slower than those bits of debris that are falling, mm-hmm. which means that the things that are falling, the, the bits of debris, those are falling at freefall speed. So if they're falling faster than the tower is, then the tower is not falling at freefall speed. So what is, uh, just maybe you should have established that before we started on this claim, but what is th- what is at stake here? If the towers were not falling at freefall speed, what do conspiracy theorists believe has been established as a result? Well, the, they assume that freefall means that it has been, um, am I right about this, that it, it is a controlled demolition, that they're a controlled explosion, that it's been I set see. up because only things, they'll, they'll compare it to other videos and say, well, watch a video of this building that was demolished on purpose and you can see it falls at free fall speed as well. So that, in their minds, proves that it's been, it's, what's the word I'm looking it's for? It's been a controlled demolition. It's been a controlled demolition. Okay. If it had been a freeze fall speed, if it had, if basically if all of the supports are all taken out at once and the whole building collapses as if it's just been hanging in the air, it should have taken about 10 seconds for the top of it to reach the ground. What you see when you count is it's actually 15 seconds. Mm. So Elena's correct. The answer to the question, why did the building fall at free fall speed is the building didn't fall at free fall speed. And this is clear from the video because like I said, the debris is falling. You can see what free fall speed is because you can watch things fall off the building. And the things that fall off the building will fall faster than the building itself. Okay. But <laughs> we don't need any of that anyway. Because in the same way that I feel like the moon landing conspiracy can kind of rest all of its hope on why is the flag waving. Yeah. I feel like the controlled demolition conspiracy can rest all its hopes on... Jet fuel and steel beams doesn't melt steel beams. I and I'm glad you referenced moon landing because that was also my experience with both conspiracies. When somebody, you know, told me about the moon landing the first time as a conspiracy, I'm like, no, that's that's not a very good idea. But then the waving flag, that was I could feel it. That was like that wavering 
of of my certainty. Wait a second. Yeah, Why like, is that flag waving? Well, how does that work? And of There's course, nowhere on the moon. Yeah, and of course, you do come up with the answer eventually. But it's that kind of stuff that that can seduce you, I think. And certainly, I think that's the role of the steel beam and jet fuel claim. Let me and, throw some numbers at you guys. All right. In both Celsius and Fahrenheit, kerosene, which is jet fuel, it burns at a maximum of fifteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit or 815 degrees Celsius. Steel melts at 2750 degrees Fahrenheit, or 1500 degrees Celsius. In case you got lost in all of those numbers, basically steel melts at a temperature that's basically twice as high as the temperature that jet fuel burns. The reason I found that so uh, destabilizing is that's that's the narrative, right? The the planes fly into the buildings and they bring those buildings down because of the fire, right? The fire that lights in the buildings, the, the jet fuel that burns, that's what brings the buildings down. But if the steel beams don't melt, then they're still there. Then, okay, I maybe get why there's a terrible fire, but why are the buildings coming down? And if the steel beams did melt... It couldn't have been the jet fuel that caused them to melt. And it must have been something else. And then we returned to the idea that it was a controlled demolition. Right. I mean, as I understand it, you don't need steel to melt in order for the, for the towers to collapse. Because what we're talking about here is uh, the carrying capacity of the steel beams. The steel beams is essentially the skeleton of the twin towers. And as that gets hotter, it's able to bear less weight. So it starts to sag, which is exactly what happens when you do reconstructions mm -hmm. of collapse. the collapse. And even when you watch it on the video, you can see the, the buildings start to kind of buckle in and out at, at different places. So nope. it comes in and... None of us are engineers. Nope. So I'm about to describe this in the most unengineering way possible. But we are basing what we're saying on engineering mm -hmm. oh, reports, yeah, no, including a really great one published uh, in Popular Mechanics, yeah. which, which took a group of engineers, took these claims to task, and just basically went through them as engineers. Here's what you can rely on. Here's what you can't. So this is a part of what we're citing. See, imagine this. Imagine a big capital letter H. This is the basically the extent of my understanding of how buildings work. <laughs> now, the sides of the H, that's like the exterior walls of the World Trade Center. And those are a supporting, supporting structure. Like, you need those external walls. The World Trade Center in particular, because they wanted to have as much open space on the inside as they could, so much of the supporting structure was built into that exterior wall. So imagine a two-dimensional building. Uh, it's a capital H. And then you have that crossbar running in between the two vertical parts, mm -hmm. the horizontal part. Now, all of that is the structure that keeps the building up. Now, that horizontal beam, as it gets warm, at about 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit or 650 degrees Celsius, that steel has lost half of its strength. And so the weight of the floor starts to push that horizontal beam down. And if you imagine that capital letter H, if you imagine sort of pulling down on the middle of that horizontal mm -hmm. part, what's going to happen is that the two vertical parts are going to start pinching in. Yep. And as you guys said, that's exactly what you see happen right before the collapse. You see the, the exterior walls pinch in as that floor starts to sag as the steel loses its structural right. rigidity. And that happens moments before right. the large collapse. 
And so, yeah, it's it's one of those where if you do that fact checking, that kind of that next step, you realize that it was sort of imported assumptions of your own that that gets you caught in believing that this can't be right. Um, because, yeah, I assumed you needed them to melt before I looked into any of this. Yeah. But there was another claim that I found really compelling only because of its scientificness. It was like, Ooh. yeah. Now he's getting into the lingo. Scientificness. It was, it was very scientific-y. And that is the claim that um, there was a, a substance called nanothermite that maybe the CIA or the FBI had uh, laced the walls of uh, inside the World Trade Center tower uh, in preparation for this. So, um, and here's about as much as I know about nanothermite. It's uh, what uh, sparklers are made out of. Sparklers. You know those birthday party thingamajiggies? I love the smell of a sparkler. Yeah. Well, um, another the thing that I learned from oh. uh, the debunker uh, of Miles Powers um, was that you can take a, a sparkler and put it in water. Yeah, and it it's still works. Oxygen source. Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so the argument being... But we should say, don't do this at home. Yeah, don't do no. it. Or do. Or yeah, whatever. Just I mean, don't I, blame we, us. We told you not to. Just don't yeah, blame yeah. us. Yeah. That's all. I mean, we don't, we, we're not the boss of you. Exactly. Um, now, apparently... There were trace elements. Am I right, Elena? That yeah, there were trace. Yeah, there was trace elements of nanothermite found. This was not part of the construction material of the World Trade Center towers. Somebody, uh, a scientist, no less, collected samples and then sent them for forensic analysis. It's got spectral in the name, spectral, spectral kind of analysis. And we are getting it. way out of our depth. Oh yeah, uh, and and it came back. Oh yeah, indeed, this is nanothermite. Weird that it should be there. And then that finding was published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. Very influential. Which apparently then had never been disproven, right? Uh, you know, when I hear stuff like that, my eyes kind of glaze over. You've given me a lot of technical terms. I don't know what the hell nanothermite is, but uh, kind of like sparklers. And sparklers are kind of, you know, impressive in their sparkly... <laughs> way yes, yes. Uh, yeah right and if you had like tons of this spread about wouldn't that make something blow up and then hey, you've got a scientific journal and a scientist and 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 analyses these so, are all fancy words right yeah I, i'm i'm pretty overwhelmed yeah. so thermite is actually um and is made up of common elements on in the periodic table um so the i think it was james and jones or something that were the two uh academics that were involved in this paper and, yeah, the truthers will often say, oh, it's peer-reviewed, scientists have looked at it. But when you actually investigate the journal itself, it was very sketchy. It was uh, Bentham Science Journals. They will publish anything. Like, people tested it out, literally sent in papers that did that made no sense at all. They yep. just generated language. Word with salads. Yeah, stuff, word right? salads. Yeah. Total word salads. Nothing made any sense, and they were accepted into this alleged peer-reviewed journal. Um, so that has no credibility in terms of its like scientific credibility. And, and, and I actually did the due diligence of reading this article. Nice. And it is awful. <laughs> it is really awful. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, the first paragraph, it's weird, but you kind of... But who goes beyond the first paragraph, right? Or the abstract. And if you actually read it, it's the kind of thing where you realize pretty quickly that this is not legit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's mostly about 
So first of all, some things that are just really weird about the article itself is that actually the stuff, if it was genuinely collected by this guy, uh, was strangely stored for years mm -hmm. in like shoeboxes and people's backyards. And, and never given access to anyone else to test it as well. Exactly, which yeah. is not science, Yeah. right? I got to come back to that point that if you do not open up your... Um, like if other people can't test what you're doing, mm -hmm. I don't care what method you're using. It ain't science. But yeah, like it's like friends of his kept these samples for years. And then he's like the whole article is about like how he got the sample. So it is a very not legit article. And it this I mean, one of the main things about science is it has to be repeatable. People have to be able exactly. to do the same experiment. And so other people have looked at dust gathered, and they did also find those weird red-gray chips. But what they found was it was iron oxide, which is an unbelievably common element, especially in something like the World Trade Center. Even in that original sort of sketchy article, it said that 0.1% of the mm -hmm. sample was made up of these, these chips. Does that mean that 0.1% of the entire World Trade Center was made of thermite at that point? Right. Or that's how much thermite they had brought in. Yeah, like that is so much thermite. Yeah. Oh, but also thermite sucks to blow stuff up with. Also true. Like it's not actually an explosive. Like no. as impressive as a sparkler might be, it doesn't blow up, which is why I give it to my kids on their birthday, yeah. right? If it was a bomb, like if it was gunpowder. Yeah. I mean, just think about it, right? I would never let my kid like any gunpowder no. on. I mean, it's just, it's not an effective explosive. Right. And then beyond that, thinking of the logistics of, well, how would the Bush administration or whoever go into the building and place all this thermite or all these explosives without tipping yeah. anybody off? Like how many thousands of people worked in that building? Yeah. So why? So first they have to bring in huge amounts huge of a super amounts. ineffective explosive, which will then leave trace elements around. Right. And the guy who apparently discovers this doesn't give anyone access to his data, sits on it for like almost up to a decade. And then anybody else who repeats it actually finds out that it, it's what, like aluminum or something, yeah. essentially? Aluminum, iron right. oxide. So, I don't know, Lee, when you put it that way, it's pretty convincing. <laughs> <laughs> but this is it, right? This is, I find this so instructive for these reasons where you're like, yeah, wow, that that's a peer-reviewed journal and nobody's discredited it and you're using scientific terms. And you're yeah. finding thermite in the dust. Right? Like... You have to go that next level if you care, uh, and then you discover. And then, it. but you don't. You see a lot of people not going to that. Of next course level, not. Right? It's the so when you if you watch if our viewers watch the Miles uh, Power uh, documentary or whatever you want to call it on YouTube, he interviews a lot of truthers, and and you can see this like, um, you can see it where they are able to do the first part and right. say that claim, oh, it's peer reviewed. It's yeah. this. It's never been disproven. But then when asked for further like. To, to go further with it, they don't go anywhere because right. they haven't taken that, that next right. step to actually research anything on their own. They just kind of take it at face value yeah. for what they think it is. Yeah. And I think Elena brings up a, a crucial point too, which is when you are actually doing a controlled demolition of a building, it's a weeks-long process. You have to go in, you have to cut down walls, you have to like do excavations. You, there are so many aspects to bringing down a building. It would be very difficult to sneak stuff in. I mean, think about all of the maintenance people who work at the World mm -hmm. Trade Center. They, they would all have to be in on it, basically. Yeah, I'll be paid off this whole time. And there's another question that I have that I've, I've never really understood. Why would you have to bring down the buildings? It's almost like this idea that the plane crash wasn't enough, that the planes would crash right. into the buildings, mm -hmm. like hundreds of innocent people would be killed, but that the American public would say, 
well, I'm pretty mad, yeah. but I'm not mad enough. Right. I'm not mad enough to go to war. The building's still standing. This isn't so bad that you would have to bring down the buildings in order to get people mad enough to go right. to war. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you have to do that? Surely the planes crashing into the building would be enough. Not only that, but because the collapse happens from the point of the impact for both buildings, because the planes crashed in at the 77th floor and the 93rd floor, those buildings collapsed from the 77th floor and the 93rd floor, mm. which means that your explosives would have to have been on the floors mm -hmm. that the planes crashed into. It seems to me that your explosives would immediately ignite from the impact and the explosion of those planes. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me on any level, not on a political level, not yeah. on a physical level. Yeah, that makes that I, I embarrassingly I hadn't even thought of that. Mm -hmm. Why bring down the towers? You're right, and you're right. I don't think it was, especially given that there were also the other attacks, the Pentagon. That's what. The, let's talk about those other attacks because yeah. there's some sketchy aspects of those. Yeah. Okay, so for example, the Pentagon attack. Yeah, no footage. Why is it that there's no footage that shows a plane going in? Yeah. And how come the hole isn't the shape of a plane? And why isn't it the <laughs> the, the width of a plane? I mean, these are all really, again, these are genuinely good questions and, and, that should and, be asked. And why are there no eyewitnesses? And why is there no debris on the lawn? Or no debris on the lawn, except the stuff that the FBI brought in the day of. Let's go through these, like, bit by bit. Okay. Right. Let's start with why is there no debris on the lawn? In the film Loose Change, it shows you a picture, and in that picture, you can clearly see no debris that looks like an airplane. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Is it Potentially because if you fly an airplane into a massive concrete structure it and it's full of uh, fuel, it disintegrates into like little bits of debris. This is something that I would actually encourage everybody to watch. If you go to YouTube or some other video hosting site, I'm sure there are some, <laughs> Pornhub, <laughs> and, you, and you type in F4 wall. What you'll see is a test. They've taken an F-4 Phantom fighter jet, which is much more solid than a passenger plane. It's much more armored than a passenger plane. And they crash it into a wall to see what happens. And it doesn't look anything like you would expect. Hmm. What happens is that the plane pulverizes. It turns into dust. Wow. Like it is shocking to see. It doesn't look real. It, it doesn't look like what it looks like in your imagination. Yeah. Because... An airplane, even though even an armored one like an F-4 Phantom fighter jet, is designed to be as light as possible. So it's made with light materials. Mm. I mean, the reason that they use titanium, it's strong, but it's also very light. And so, yeah, a plane will, to a degree, disintegrate when it crashes into something reinforced like the Pentagon. The other thing about that photograph in Loose Change, it doesn't show any debris. It's also cropped. Mm -hmm. If you look at the original photograph, what was cropped out of that photograph were a bunch of pieces of, of debris. <laughs> debris from an airplane. But of course, those were just put there, right? The morning of. <laughs> then it starts to get, I mean, yeah, if, if, I if, your, if your hypothesis requires yeah. people to like come Keep running adding. onto the lawn that has right. just exploded with pieces of plane to drop down, that's getting too elaborate. Well, because also, um, just again, to put everyone in the loop, if you're not wise to what the conspiracy says on this point, it's that it wasn't actually a plane. It was a missile. So it was just a direct hit by missile. That's why this doesn't add up properly. And to make and, and then what was what happened was that the crash was staged after the fact. Right. So that's what the conspiracy theorists say. Now, do you think there's an element here? So you were mentioning this idea of like the surrealness of the crashes into the into the World Trade Centers and then now 
the expectation of what it should look like for a plane to crash into the Pentagon, right? Based on movies, based on whatever else we see, that's our only knowledge of what something like this might look like. So then when it really happens, we might have these expectations for, well, that can't have that can't have been that. Yeah. A plane wouldn't do that. It wouldn't pulverize. Yeah, it doesn't look like that in my imagination no. or in the movie I saw. Right. But it makes sense that the Pentagon would be so heavily reinforced to have a wall that would that would destroy a plane in that way. And again, actually, going on Nathan's earlier point, if this were fake, why not just get a plane and crash it into the Pentagon? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, it doesn't have to be full of American citizens. But if this is like your game, if you're going to create a false flag event, why be so roundabout? Like, why use a missile and then mm-hmm. get FBI agents to drop bits of plane material? Why not just get a passenger plane? Yeah, you've got access to planes. Yeah. yeah. And you could just, you could even like, I'm sure, make a drone out of it, right? You wouldn't even have to like yeah. put anyone's life, or at least not in a plane, at risk. So it seems very roundabout. Seems a little extra. It seems like it seems like too much work. Yeah. Like there's an easier way to get at exactly the same thing. But what about the fact that there's no footage? And that does seem somewhat damning, no? Well, have you guys seen the gas station footage? It's basically five frames that was taken from a security camera. I think so. Yeah, it's just to the side of the Pentagon. Yeah, I have seen it. And in fact, you do see the beginning of a plane. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in one of the frames you see well, certainly you see a plane shape shape with a tall dorsal fin. Right. And what appears to be smoke coming from probably one of the engines that would have been damaged as it crashed into a hydropole on its way in. Right, because yeah. it hit a few poles along the way in. That's right. Yeah. So if it wasn't a plane, I don't know what else it would have been that's a plane size yeah. and a plane shape and has a dorsal fin. <laughs> it isn't a plane. Because, I mean, yeah. I, I know like Tomahawk missiles and things like that, they're much smaller and they don't have those fins. Mm-hmm. Like it, it lo- you'd have to basically build a missile that looked like a plane mm-hmm. in order to explain that, or I guess fake the footage. Right. Again, and I mean, the thing is that, so the claim says there is no footage. That is factually incorrect. There is footage. It's just unsatisfying because the plane is moving so quickly. This is like, you know, a not very sophisticated security camera. And it, you know, you get one still of a blurry canonical shape object and then five or the next frame is an explosion yeah so it's 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 true that you don't have a kind of a handy cam video of the plane cruising into the pentagon we don't have hd footage of it yeah and it's frustrating because we're used to a world mm-hmm. in which there's footage of everything everybody yeah because if you compare it to the twin tower footage i mean that footage is really graphic it's very obvious um and still hard for me to watch to be honest no i can't yeah, I mean, another thing about this, too, is the assumption that we can't believe that it's real if we don't have right. footi- footage of it to yeah, see yeah, it yeah. with our own eyes, yeah. right? Um, which in and of itself is problematic. That's a good point. And, 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 and the witnesses? Yeah, there was, there was hundreds of eyewitnesses right. who saw it, <laughs> yeah. uh, who saw it as a plane. There were some people who thought they saw a missile. There were some people who thought they saw like a small, like private plane. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, eyewitness right. testimony is always kind of oh, a, yeah. it's always a mess. Yeah. But there were hundreds of people who said, yeah, I saw a plane go into the building. Now, what about the hole, though? The hole is smaller than you would expect it to be. Part of that we explained when we talked about the F-4 Phantom experiment. But let's go back to that B-25 bomber that crashed into the Empire State Building. A B-25 has a wingspan of 20 meters. I'm switching to metric for Lee. Thank you. The hole that it made in the Empire State Building was only five and a half meters wide. Okay. 
So that's yeah. a lot smaller. Yeah. That is actually, yeah, that is kind of surprisingly smaller. Yeah. But your your measurement includes the wingspan. Yep. Right? And and if I think about it, like the wings seem, and again, you know more that, about this than I do, but the wings seem like a less substantial part of the plane than the body and yeah. where the passengers sit and whatever else. I don't know about a bomber. Like, I don't know what's in a, it. A plane, by its very nature, has to be built as insubstantial as possible. Yeah. So it can get into the air. Yeah. I mean, you know that lousy joke, well, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? <laughs> that was my Seinfeld impersonation. <laughs> the reason is because it would be too heavy to fly. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. A plane has to be made of light, flimsy materials. Right. Is it, though, that when the plane crashes into the pentagon i mean one of its wings is damaged and then wouldn't it be that you would crash in with the nose of the plane which would do the damage the wings are like f for me again i'm imagining less substantial would probably break off wouldn't they they're not going to crash in mm -hmm. and make like wing shaped holes yeah they'll be the debris that end up on the yeah on the lawn now, Elena, yeah. this is one of those moments when I wish this was a video rather than a podcast, because the whole time Lee was explaining <laughs> that, you probably noticed he was, like, making his body shaped yeah, like he was an a airplane. Plane. Yeah. And it was really something. Yeah. It was really quite adorable. This is why I insist <laughs> on it being a podcast, so you can't see we me We should make it silly. into a blog. Did you notice he was flapping his wings, though? He, <laughs> was, he was really more of a bird than a plane. So, Elena, how do you feel? Like, I feel like this Pentagon part of the theory is is already been put to bed it's is there, very weak is there more um to the pentagon or to in general i think to the just if we're working through the claims just for the pentagon like how do you feel about it do you feel like if i presented you this you'd be like yeah this is not this is not anything i could hang my head on in terms of it being a conspiracy uh, yeah no this the pentagon stuff seems uh like weak quote-unquote evidence that the con that the truthers would would make their claim that it's that it's a false flag, hmm. to me at least. I mean, there's one plane left. Yeah. Um, uh, I listened. Okay, so th this is Flight 93. This is the one that did not reach its destination. Right. This is the one that, instead of making it to either the White House or the Capitol Building, which was apparently its its intended target, it crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Uh, this one is also the one, um, and I was, I got myself into a just a tragically sad mood yesterday because I listened to all of the calls oh, God. that were recorded oh from my this God. plane. And it is, it's, it's hard. It's horrible. I mean, because I've we, heard those. We, we try to approach these by like examining the evidence and trying to be as, as unemotional as possible because we, we feel like emotions are going to sort of get in the way of, of our reason. But it, it's still very hard to listen to those phone calls from people who are like leaving messages for their mm -hmm. loved ones and just realizing that they are probably going to die. Don't some tr I mean, but it's relevant because don't some truthers say that they'll they'll use some calls as evidence? Be like, this one sounds unreal. They keep saying this. Like, do you believe me? Do you believe me on the phone? Why would they keep saying that to their mom? On their, in their last minutes of life or it sounds like an audio like uh, deep fake kind of thing where they're just faking yeah. the voice of someone. Or they sound too calm. Right. right. Now, this is something that Elena brought up earlier, this idea that like what happens in our imagination isn't necessarily what happens in real life. And this is, I think, crucial, this idea that I don't know what I would sound like on that phone call. Mm -hmm. No. And, this is and what I heard from a lot of them is it starts off pretty calm as the person's like, listen, this is happening. We've heard that other planes have gone in and this and this. And the person does sound calm. And then towards the end of the phone call, when they start to say, 
listen, I hope I'll see you again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they start to break up. Yeah. Right. And that seems very human to me that mm-hmm. you would start very calm. And then as you realized, you heard your own voice saying, and you realized, I'm probably not going to see these people I love. Right. I'm probably not going to watch my children grow up. Like, you, you just never know how someone is going to react. No. So, so yeah. to base a theory on their voices sounded weird on the calls, that is not enough for me. No, agreed. And it's, it reminds me a lot of the crisis actor stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the right. critique, Sandy Hook. Uh, Sandy Hook, but all the other school shootings where the, the critique was, look at those parents. They're not overcome enough. And I again, like, I don't overcome know. Overcome looks like a lot of different things. It does. Well, and that's applied to so many survivors of trauma to say, well, they were too calm afterwards. Yeah. Or why aren't they? But it's all you can't make assumptions about how people are going to react in no. response to trauma. Of Especially kind. not for the f- two minutes they happen to be giving a interview on TV. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, that dad wasn't, you know, sobbing his eyes out. Clearly, he, he uh, this can't be real. But right. then that doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're going to get all sidetracked because if you're if your argument, he's an actor, then he's a terrible actor. Right. <laughs> because he's not acting in a way that you would yeah, expect him to be. Yeah. Yeah. So then that doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, an argument that I think is stronger than that argument that they sound funny is, well, how are those phone calls being made at all? Mm-hmm. Because if the plane was at 20,000 feet, this was in 2001, like how did their phones work to begin with? Now what I've heard, and, and that is an argument that mm-hmm. I think is, is worth looking into. Uh, what I've heard is that the people in the first few calls were using like the actual, the airplane phones. Right. Okay. Yeah. And once the plane got lower, some people were able to use right, cell phones. Okay. Which seems, until I hear evidence to the contrary, that seems reasonable enough mm-hmm. to accept. Now, this is one aspect of the conspiracy that, to be honest, I don't like. I don't know. The question is, was the plane? Did it actually crash, or was it shot, shot down, down right? by an American fighter plane? Hmm. I wouldn't uh, see it as. I mean, this is an awful thing to say out loud, but I wouldn't see it as unreasonable for it to be shot down. Totally, because I mean, you're trying to save the lives of... You, they don't know where they're going to crash into yeah. next. Yeah. And uh, it's it's one of those... It's one, uh, it's one of those things that it's easy to... Maybe easy to say and horrible to even contemplate doing, but it's when you're dealing with national security, those are the kinds of calculations, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a plane full of people versus a school or a hospital full of people? Mm-hmm. Or a nuclear power plant that mm-hmm. they exactly. crash into mm-hmm. or... Exactly. Or a so, what other target? If yeah. if it were to come out at some point that this was uh, without a doubt shot down, it wouldn't change my mind about what I thought happened uh, in terms of the overalls. And uh, in fact, that would go against the truthers because why would you orchestrate this right. extra plane that right. you would have to sh- shoot down and kill civilians? Yeah. Rather than it actually crash into something and cause more upset and, and fear and everything that would then get the people to support your war. Yeah, it, it's almost, you're, you're right, it's almost a, a completely different conspiracy. And one that I find actually, it, it's plausible. I, I don't know, maybe we'll never know. No. Um, I have seen the, the impact crater that the plane left. It, it looks to me like the plane was mostly still intact when it hit the, mm-hmm. the ground. If it was hit by a mm. missile, I don't know how intact it would have been. But, it, like, I, th- I think Elena makes an excellent point here. It almost doesn't matter. Because if it was shot down or it wasn't shot down, that doesn't lend evidence to the whole thing being a false flag. Right. In fact, if it was shot down, that's evidence against it totally. being a false no. flag. Yeah. So we can probably disregard that part of it for now anyway. I mean, but one thing that really struck me, 
um, watching some of the truthers' claims and how they speak about the premises that they're that they're putting out is the incon- uh, the sort of inconsistent thinking. So they might apply some argument somewhere, but then when something contrary is presented, or well, if you say this, then why wouldn't you say this here? They're so selective in the way they apply their theory. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there, there's so much that we've missed too. Like, I'm sure that again, like I think our I like our listeners. I hear from our listeners. They're a smart bunch, and some of that smart bunch, I'm sure some people probably are still going to believe that this was a false flag because the American mm-hmm. government gets up to so much sketchy stuff, and they're probably like yelling at their phones right now, <laughs> yeah. saying things like, "Well, why do you see like bright red molten metal dripping out of the World Trade Center, for yeah. example?" Right. Because we didn't talk about that. Right, we no. didn't. Yeah. So like, why is there bright red molten metal coming out of the trade center if if steel doesn't melt why is there melting metal there well is it that aluminum melts at a lower temperature so it doesn't so whereas steel might not be melting yet the aluminum will be and that will appear in that way and it's and the color of smoke and the color of um uh the moltenness whatever you want to call (laughs) it that doesn't actually matter all that much does it no i mean it's a complex fire there's a lot of office material there's a lot of building material there's a lot of plane debris like you said aluminum the plane was mostly made of aluminum so uh, again but then people might say something like oh but aluminum doesn't look red Mm -hmm. when it's molten but it, it does yeah. at, at certain temperatures. At, at about the temperature that those fires would have been, aluminum does look red. But somebody else might say something like, what about that BBC reporter oh, right. who announced the collapse of World Trade Center 7 before it fell? Mm-hmm. I think any real-time reporting, especially when there's such a huge, dramatic and tragic event like that, there's a lot of misinformation going on. People don't know exactly what's going on. Um, and she, I'm assuming she just reported it too early. She had her information wrong. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. The There's a lot thing, of buildings in that yeah. complex. And there was a lot of stuff falling. Yeah. And the other question that, of course, I have to people who say, well, what about that reporter who announced World Trade Center 7 before it fell? If it was a pre-planned demolition... Why would some BBC reporter yeah. know about it already? Right. Like, did the CIA plan all this and then call the CB uh, the BBC and say, "Hey guys, just so you know, this is all faked." Yeah. Could you do me a but favor? But just don't tell anybody. Yeah. So, but but whatever you do, don't announce this too soon. Yeah. Because that will all it'll give the whole game away. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that claim. And uh, and I'm sure we've missed a bunch more. There's, yeah, maybe people will write us in with more. Uh, I would actually, I would welcome that. Yeah. Because if I get evidence that indicates that it was a false flag and it's be, good evidence yeah that would, i'll, I'll yeah. believe that evidence for sure well if we're if we're going to um sounds like we're wrapping up and not having been able to get through all the claims we individually have gone through all of them and i can say uh with the utmost confidence that every single claim i looked at and i did some research about, I came to the conclusion that it was not a very solid claim to base a conspiracy theory on. And and, and it all follows what exactly... I mean, we have chosen the, what we think are the best claims. So uh, if in your own time you're interested in pursuing this, I, I think a great place to start is that popular uh, mechanics article, uh, which really critiques what happened uh, or, or, or 
not what happened, sorry, but the claims that the conspiracy theorists make. And they go through a bunch of other stuff, like what about the World Trade Center Tower 7 and it not having been hit by a plane and crashing? Mm-hmm. There is straightforward explanation to that and, and really all the other claims. So I would encourage you to go to the Popular Mechanics article. Also check out Miles Powers on YouTube. No, but we started this by saying that we basically all agreed that that particular American administration needed to be charged with war crimes. So I think we should return to that. Because here's, here's the thing that I think makes me furious in as much as I feel emotions, is that there was a conspiracy. There was a conspiracy that did lead to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of innocent people. And the conspiracy was after that attack, which was carried out by mostly Saudi nationals, the Bush administration launched a war against the country of Iraq after somehow convincing the American public and and partly the world at large, particularly in England, that somehow Saddam Hussein was in some way involved with this. And they launched what I consider to be an illegal war that resulted in so much death and destruction that continues to reverberate today with things like uh, the collapse of those countries, with the formation of ISIS. Like, that is a horrifying conspiracy, in some ways worse than what truthers claim the American government did. Yeah, like, we're still around the world suffering the blowback from the war in Iraq. We're still, you know, around the world, like you said, people are still suffering the blowback from these actions uh, against Iraq, this illegal war, uh, because Bush and people like Colin Powell at the time, like, made these claims to the world that Iraq was uh, was behind this and had weapons of mass destruction that should then be taken care of. All lies. All lies. Um, again, this isn't just us saying this. Uh, I remember when Colin Powell gave his speech to the UN, this was the one that was about Saddam Hussein having, supposedly having weapons of mass destruction. And by that, we're thinking about like, maybe it's an atomic bomb or a small atomic bomb. Maybe Suitcase it's, bomb, dirty yeah, bomb. Dirty bomb. You know, something really scary and dangerous. And the worry was, well, what if the smoking gun is a mushroom cloud? You know, wouldn't, isn't this a kind of let's be safe rather than sorry? Let's take this bad guy out rather than, you know, imagine maybe he is not up to something dangerous. At the time when Colin Powell was giving that speech, there was a New Yorker article that came out just after his speech. And it went through all the points in his speech and demonstrated that, um, at least from this journalist perspective, it was all bogus. And that meant that not only did the administration know that this was bogus, but actually some of the American public who was paying attention knew that this was bogus. I would go even further, Nathan. I would say that there are at least three bona fide conspiracies to do with 9-11 that have nothing to do with what the truthers talk about. One is you got to go back to Operation Cyclone. I think funding a radical right-wing extremist and by right-wing i'm this is a culture fundamentalist fundamentalist but very conservative very reactionary group of essentially proto-terrorists uh throughout the 1980s funding them when you could have funded secular liberals or you could have funded feminists or you could have funded all these different groups who would have made afghanistan a better place and still not capitulate to the soviets To have done that behind the back of the American people, at the expense of Afghan civilians for generations, right? And I remember uh, 
listening in preparation to an earlier podcast and Afghan National talking about the Taliban as being the ex-refugee uh, boys, the boys who were made refugees in the 80s, coming back in the 90s mad as hell, you know, mad at the Americans for killing their dads and moms and ruining their lives. There's that conspiracy. There's the, as you guys both mentioned, the illegal wars that start as a result of this. And how that uh, terrorist attack and the tragedy that happens to all those people is instrumentalized politically. And then one that uh, actually one of our go-to journalists that we often use, and uh, we've used him for MK Ultra and COINTELPRO and stuff like that, Seymour Hirsch, talks about um, the actual killing of Osama bin Laden probably did not go down at all the way we have all heard about it and was probably much more of a kind of like assassination of a guy who was already um, feeble Ailing, and incapacitated. Yeah. Now, look, again, I'm no, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to say this stuff, but I feel like I got to say it somehow. Anyway, I'm no fan of Osama bin Laden. And I think that uh, he was a terrorist and he did cause a huge amount of suffering to a whole bunch of people none of whom deserved it. And yet, I don't think um, that if the killings went down the way Seymour Hirsch describes it, uh, that this is at all legitimate. I mean, you don't shoot, a, you know, an old feeble man in the back of the head. In this the has got to be its own podcast. That, yeah, that's I mean, be its own episode. this is it. Like, there's don't a lot of... anything. You can't yeah, deliver yeah. anything. No promises. There's a lot of stuff here that is shady, you know, and um, it's almost like the conspiracy of 9-11 being an inside job is a red herring. It distracts us mm -hmm. from really deep, critical questioning of the American government. I started out by saying that I agree with the truthers that um, the CIA caused 9-11. And all you have to do is look at what they did in Afghanistan. That for it's 9 11, kind of cause, mm -hmm. it's a different kind of cause. It's not as superficial and simplistic as the truthers would have it, but it is, I think, personally, much more devastating. If if that's really what's going on, and I kind of think it is. Wow, yeah, I mean, so that makes deeper. that makes 9 11 not the scariest conspiracy we've talked about today. I guess one last thing. I, I want to go back to the the project for the New American Century. That that group of of future Bush administration officials who who wanted the Pearl Harbor. Now, the argument that I've heard from truthers when they read that that paper is, see, they wanted a Pearl Harbor and they got it. What I think actually happened was they wanted a Pearl Harbor. And when September 11th happened, they said, that wasn't the Pearl Harbor we wanted. Right, but we'll take it. Yeah, we'll yeah. take it. Yeah. What if we just pretend it was? Yeah. It's a real bummer, guys. Well, I mean, there was no way <laughs> yeah, it there wasn't was, going to be. There was no upside to this one. Um, the only good news I can think of is that we are getting closer and closer to me needing to get a tattoo on my arm. Awesome. Ooh. Yeah. I think we're just a few more followers on Instagram really? away. Okay. And then as soon as it's safe. What was the number again? 400. I thought it was 200. I can't oh, was remember. It? I, can I oh, think, no, 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 no. It was listen, 400. I think oh, Nathan totally just wants this tattoo. Yeah, so you just, want, just, get the, just get the tattoo already. <laughs> Make the appointment now. It'll take a few weeks anyways. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And if you do have some more evidence, because yeah. we do think that the American governments in general and the Bush administration in particular is hella shady. If you do have more evidence that we didn't cover because there's a ton of it, then send us an email and we'll do probably a follow up on this episode. So yeah. send us an email at. Oh, my gosh. Uh, po podcast at uncoverup.com. No, podcast at. Un no. 
podcast <laughs> at the uncover up dot com. I thought it was podcast at the conspiracy yeah, theory yeah, yeah, podcast the uncover up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we'll focus group that name that Lee is working on, and, and it does roll off the tongue. It really well. does. So, from all of us here at the conspiracy podcast, the uncover up, <laughs> starring <laughs> Lee Coonley, Elena Papianis, and Nathan Segway. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, be safe and take care. <laughs>